0: Let's stand together today and open our Bibles to Acts chapter 12. And I want you to look at me in Acts chapter 12, verse 1. It says, About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of the unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Father, we thank you for your word that guides us and directs us and we pray it would inspire us today for the battles, the storms that we face to know how to put our trust in you. Father, guide us today, anoint us today, give us freedom today, silence the enemy today, and we'll give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a simple question. Do you believe the promises of God? Do you believe God's word and he's gonna do what he says he'll do? Do you believe it? Does your prayer life look like you believe? The way you pray, does it look like you believe? Do you have issues in your life that you know need to change? Maybe loved ones that are far from God, not interested in God. Maybe loved ones caught in addictions. Maybe attitudes in life that need to be changed maybe promises of God that are unfulfilled? Are you concerned about the direction of our, cu- of our culture where America's going? Do you have a burden for the hurting of the world? <clears throat> How about people far from God in our community? Does your prayer life look like you believe? Have you built a prayer list? Have you made an appointment with God? Set time aside, one on one, to pray and to seek him. Prayer is the game changer. The enemy wants you to feel helpless. He wants you to feel like the circumstances are so big, are so dire, or they're so trapped, that nothing can happen. But do you believe the promises of God? Do you believe that there's a real enemy that can be overcome? We're gonna talk more about that next week. The flesh, the enemy wants you to feel helpless. The flesh wants us to be casual. The flesh wants us to kind of, just kind of accept these things and move on. But prayer that brings intimacy with God and faith in God's promises calls for, listen, dedicated time where you're doing nothing but seeking God. It's not just part of whatever you're going about in the rest of the day. It's some dedicated time where you're really seeking God. where you think about your situation and how you feel about it and you pray about it and you ask God to move in it. Jesus said that all authority has been given to him, therefore go and make disciples. You and I walk under the authority of Jesus as Christians. And prayer changes the things that go on in our life. Now listen, the casual reading of the Bible, it's easy to get your Herods confused. We're talking about Herod here. Uh, Herod the Great is the Herod you read about in Matthew at the time of Jesus' birth. He had been given rule over Palestine during the reigns of Anthony and Octavius, and he had been dubbed, listen, the king of the Jews. Now, the job of these kind of rulers was to keep the conquered people in check. Uh, no rebellion. Rebellion was not a good thing. They didn't want rebellion to happen. They didn't want to have to invest their soldiers in rebellion of, of countries that had already been conquered, and they wanted the taxes to be collected. Herod the Great did this by fear. He was a ruthless, ruthless leader. To the point that he executed one of his wives, his mother-in-law, and several of his own children. That's pretty ruthless, isn't it? He ruled he ruled from 37 BC until short until shortly after Jesus was born. Now, shortly before he died, to tell you how ruthless he was, he called all the prominent jew not all, but he called many of the prominent Jewish leaders front to, to come and meet him at Jericho. And when, he, when they got there, he put them all in prison. And he ordered that when he died, they were to be executed. He did that because he knew as as harsh of a ruler as he had been, that when he died, there would not be any mourning. In fact, he feared that there would be celebration. So he figured if he killed a bunch of the Jewish prominent leaders, there would be some mourning when he died. Now thankfully, they never carried out that order. But we know him because of his most famous atrocity of killing the young male children in Bethlehem as he heard about the prophecy of a king to be born from the Magi. he was searching for that king. Herod the king, or Herod Agrippa the first, is the grandson of Herod the great. He's the one we read about in this passage that we we see today. The apostle Paul would eventually stand trial before Herod Agrippa the second. So, as you're reading through, you understand there's several of them. Herod Agrippa I had a strained relationship with Rome. He was not one of their favorite guys. He had left Rome with a lot of debt to a lot of powerful people. And so, his reign was a pretty tenuous reign, and he needed to keep things under check in a a very positive way. And uh, so, he looked for ways to appease the Jewish leaders. Now listen, justice was not a thought. Justice maintaining power was the goal. About the time of of this famine that we read about in Acts chapter 11, Herod Agrippa I discovered that he could please the Jewish leaders, that they liked it when he attacked this newfound group of Christians, this new religion that was growing up. And when he had, when he, when he, in the process of doing that, he had James, the Apostle James, the brother of John, that James, he had him killed. He had him run through with a sword, which is the typical uh, way that they would execute someone who was accused of spiritual apostasy, that someone who was teaching a false religion. And they had him run through by the sword, and he saw that that pleased the Jewish people so much and got him so much favor with them that he looked for the head honcho. He looked for Peter, and he had Peter arrested. And his plan was to put him in jail for the week of the Passover, and after the feast, he would call him out and try him, and in all likelihood, he would kill him. He puts this, this, this person... He wants to do this at the end of the Passover because he knows that at the end of this week there'll be a maximum number of Jewish people there from all around the known world and he would get all of this favor with them. So he imprisoned him and had him guarded by four squads of Roman soldiers. Each squad would have been four soldiers and at the time the way they had set it up is two of the soldiers. One would be chained on one side of of Peter one would be chained on the other side of Peter at all times and then two other soldiers would guard the door the only door to the prison he would be in so there would be no chance of escape no chance of him getting away apparently some of the Jewish leaders had said we've put this guy in prison before and he always gets out And so Herod was making sure that he wasn't going to get out this time, that they were going to keep him in prison. Peter is in a hopeless position. Nothing was going to change Herod's mind. All the forces there are aligned against, uh, against him. There's no court of appeal. The only appeal anyone could have is if they were a Roman citizen and then they could appeal to Rome. But if you weren't a Roman citizen, you were under the final authority of whoever was ruling your province. And at this point in time, it was Herod Agrippa, and Peter's fate seemed doomed. The church began to earnestly pray. The word here, earnestly, is a word that talks about exertion, talks about stretching of a physical muscle and putting effort in and really getting physical in something, really fervently going after something. The King James Version talks about how they were ceaselessly praying. They prayed constantly about this situation. He's arrested at the beginning of the days of the feast and seven days go on and they continue in prayer but finally on the night that Peter the night before Peter is to be brought out after all of these days of being imprisoned and all of these days with the the fate seeming to be sealed and the church praying we find Peter in prison and the Bible says He is soundly asleep in this uncomfortable, torturous, chained to two guys, uncomfortable place. Peter is sound asleep. Some say God put all of them to sleep. Some say Peter was filled with peace because he knew that Jesus had told him that he was going to die as a martyr, but it wasn't going to be until he was old and he wasn't old yet. Regardless, Peter was asleep, and so were the guards. In the middle of this hopeless night, God would intervene. You can read the whole story in Acts chapter 12. An angel would show up. While the guards slept, he would poke Peter in the side and say, get up. As he got up, the chains would fall off of him. The angel would tell him to get dressed and he would walk to the doors and the doors would swing open as if they were on an automatic door opener. And the next thing Peter knows, he finds himself out in the middle of Jerusalem, thinking at first it's a dream and then realizing that it's true. The guards did not even notice him leaving. Here's one of the lessons for the day. Nothing can hold what God determines to set free. Nothing can hold what God determines to set free. He goes to a common place of gathering for the believers. He goes to Mary's house, who's the mother of John Mark that we'll read about so many times in the New Testament. The door, of the gate is locked, so he knocks, and the servant girl goes and hears his voice and and hears Peter outside the door and in her excitement she leaves him standing there out in the street and rushes in and tells everyone Peter is at the gate. This is another key lesson to our lives. They have been fervently fervently, ceaselessly praying for a week asking God to deliver Peter I have no idea what was in their mind about how they saw that deliverance happening if they just thought that God would turn Hair to grip his heart or what would take place what they were hoping would happen but now on the night after about six days of ceaselessly praying for Peter the servant girl runs in and says he is at the gate and you know what these great men and women of faith look at her, and, and say, they look at her in Acts chapter 12, verse 15, and they say this, you're out of your mind. You are crazy. She kept insisting until, until one of them said, finally said, you know, it's his angel. See, they didn't have the Bible back then. The Bible, the law of the New Testament was being written. They, they thought that angels would appear at times in the form, guardian angels, of the person that they were guarding. They said, well, maybe it's his angel out there. But they, they were dead you know, certain that it wasn't Peter until they go to the gate, and Peter is there. Peter's there. This is there. This is the amazing thing. Sometimes in our mind's eyes, we cannot imagine what we're hoping for. We can't imagine that anything is going to change. In fact, we may give up hope. And we can't imagine how God's really going to do what we ask. But there's power in our obedience. They didn't know how it was going to take place. When it happened, they couldn't hardly believe it, they didn't believe it at first. But God had moved in their behalf. See, they loved Peter so much. They were so grieved by the loss of James, the apostle. And they loved Peter so much that they prayed for him without ceasing. Is there a circumstances that you want to see so desperately? Somebody you care about so much. Something you love so much that it will drive you to prayer? They knew the word so well that they knew they could pray and they could ask God. They just didn't see how it was going to take place. It's interesting that in this moment when Peter finally shows up and he tells them, listen, I just want you to know I'm okay. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to go into hiding, which he, did, which he does. And he doesn't even tell them where he's going and he takes off into hiding and he tells them, Tell James and the other apostles, tell them that that I'm free and I'm gone. Who's he talking to? James, the apostle, has been killed. He's talking to James, the brother of Jesus. The word that's used here about them fervently praying is the same exact word we talked about last week where James wrote and says the prayers of a fervent man the fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. James would write that years later because he had witnessed what fervent prayer could do. He had seen it with his own eyes, how when a people decide to pray, how the impossible can take place and how God can move in people's lives. Intercession is a powerful, event-changing tool that God puts in the hands of the believer. You've been given authority over the situations in your life because Jesus has wrestled authority away from the enemy of our souls. And our intercessory prayer changes things. The prayer of the desperate is demonstrated in this passage, fervent prayer, fervent prayer that James would carry throughout the rest of his life. When you want things to change, you've got to check your heart and say, how bad do I want it to change? How desperately do I really want My son to change, or my grandson to be changed, or this addiction to be set free over this person? How bad do I really want my country to turn back to righteousness? How bad do I really want this? Is it really a fire burning in my bones? Do I really feel this? And am I willing to invest fervently, invest my life in prayer? Number two, it's unceasing prayer. They prayed all week long. They didn't give up. They were going to pray until an answer was given. They were going to pray about this situation until either Peter was set free or God had determined he was going to be a martyr at that time. They were going to pray for God's will and they weren't going to stop until they saw an answer. And friend, they had community prayer. They, They gathered together as a community of believers who wanted to see something changed And they prayed together. This is why we have our prayer services that we announce to you. So we as a community can come together and pray and believe God. Intercession, very simply, is praying for someone the way they would if they knew what you knew. When we pray for someone who's uh who doesn't know god or someone who's trapped in something we're praying we are standing before god and we're praying for them the way they would pray if they knew what you know the other part of the definition is this this is standing with someone who is in need of god's intervention and the way we stand with them is not to send them happy thoughts not to say we're sending positive feelings towards you. That's all New Age hooey. The way we stand with them is we stand with them in prayer. Abraham interceded for Lot when he knew what was going to happen in Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot didn't. Moses interceded and, and, and prayed for the camp of Israel when they rebelled at Mount Sinai and worshiped the golden calf and deserved the punishment of God. And Moses stepped into the gap. Jesus interceded for Peter when Satan had come and wanted to sift him like wheat. Jesus interceded for the Roman soldiers that nailed him to the cross when he lifted them up and said, hold not this sin against them. Stephen did the very same thing when he prayed for the Jewish leaders, including Paul, when they stoned him to death. And today, Jesus is at the throne of of the Father and he intercedes for you and for me and our weaknesses. Listen, if we are the nicest most giving, most entertaining, best communicating generation of believers that ever walked the earth. We will not change people's hearts. For hearts, for hearts to be changed, we need the life-giving power of the Spirit that only comes when we pray. Andrew Murray, a great writer and a great man of prayer in, in days gone by, said we must, be, we must begin to believe that God in the mystery of prayer has entrusted us with a force that can move the heavenly world and bring its power down to earth. That's when we pray, God, whatever your will is in, is in heaven, let it be on earth. Keith Green, many of you will remember that name, great Christian songwriter of the 70s and 80s, said during that time, this generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls on the earth. In Ezekiel 22, God speaks about the sin of Israel. Judgment for the northern kingdom was at hand. Uh, they, They had turned to other things instead of God, their creator. They'd turn to other answers for their life, and he he speaks of the wickedness of their leaders. The priests had not defined the difference between the holy and the profane. What's he saying? They haven't defined the difference between what is right and what is wrong. The, the, The priests, the spiritual leaders, had not define the difference between the clean and the unclean, between what followers of Christ should do and what they shouldn't do. Therefore, the people were living in sin. They were doing what is evil instead of what is right, and the leaders were giving false visions and teaching lies to the people. The princes, the government leaders, shed the blood of the innocent and got rich off of their dishonest gain. And the people of the land committed robbery, mistreated the poor and the needy, and oppressed the sojourner, the strangers. And God said because of this, judgment is going to come. The declaration in Ezekiel, this declaration of the sin of the people, leads to one of the saddest statements in all the Bible. In Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, it says this. I sought for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. You think about this for a minute. You think, well, surely Ezekiel was praying for it. There we find later there's other believers. But friends, there needs to be people who've been given authority over areas of their life who will stand in that breach. What about our families? What about our friends? Your family, your friends. What about our community and our generation? What will be said about it? What will be said about your family? What will be said about your friend? Here's my plea with you today let it not be said about your family. Let it not be said about your children and your grandchildren. Let it not be said about your friends and your neighbors. Let it not be said about our generation. Let God not say, I searched for someone and I found no one. Are you willing to stand in the breach? Are you willing to step up and make an appointment with God and say, I believe the promises of God over all the circumstances that seem overwhelming, over all the circumstances that seem impossible even when I can't dream about how God is going to do it, I believe God is a God of his word he keeps his promises and if we will pray, if someone will stand in the breach if someone will step up like Moses did and like Abraham did, if someone will step up into those places, it is not impossible for God to do things because he is God almighty listen some of you you have children you have grandchildren you have friends you have neighbors we have a community we definitely have a nation that needs people to begin to stand in the breach that needs people to begin to pray without ceasing that needs people begin to step up and say, I'm going to believe if I pray and I lift up my voice and others pray and lift up their voice that God will bring change by his power. I don't know how he's going to do it. It seems impossible to, be, to believe it at times. It seems absolutely overwhelming to think this one can change or our country can be moved. It seems like all the forces are against us, but we believe that God is greater than everything. And when he determines... To set something free, it will be set free. Today, you've been coming here, maybe you've been coming here for years. You've got a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad who week after week encourage you to come. Maybe you've been coming for months or maybe this is your first time. And I want to tell you, you're here because somebody's standing in the gap for you. You're here because somebody desperately wants to see you discover the fullness of who Jesus is in your life. They know that someday you're going to stand before God and judgment will rest upon every one of us and the only hope for any of us is because we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, what that means, really simply, let me to tell you, It means that we put our trust in him to be our Lord and to be our Savior. There is a lie going on in the world today. There's false prophets in the world today that basically say this, you can live any way you want to live and it's going to be okay. You're going to heaven. But friends, you read the Bible at all and what you discover is that to stand before a holy God there's a call for us to be a holy people. We can never reach that full measure on our own. That's why Jesus died for us on the cross so that we could be covered and stand before him with the covering of the blood of Christ upon us. But he calls us to no longer be slaves to sin, but to be set free from sin. He defines it very clearly, moral, the moral direction for our life is very clearly defined in Scripture. And if all this world tells you you're going to be okay and you're living outside those moral guidelines, then all the world's lying to you. They're false prophets. There's a moment of repentance. There's a moment of acceptance when we see a holy God who loves us and has better things for us. And we have to accept Christ into into that role in our life. Let's stand together today and let's pray. Father, I pray two things today. Father, we pray that you'd inspire us today to be a people who step into the breach, who make that appointment with you and begin to pray every day and determine that even when we can't imagine how you're going to do things, that we're going to trust you to do them. And Father, we stand here today and we pray for anyone who needs to get their heart right with you that today they would do that very thing. That they would accept you into their life in Jesus' name. So every head's bowed, every eye closed, I want to give you just this moment today, just this, just this second today to say, you know what, I want to make sure my heart's right with God. I want to ask him to be the Lord of my life and the Savior of my life. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand right now wherever you're at and say, Pastor, I need to get my heart right with God today. And take just a moment to look across this place. Give you a chance to pray, pray that prayer. Father, we look in this place and we pray for the lost of our community. Father, I, I just know there are some here today that need to get their heart right with you. And I pray you just continue to call them and continue to move in their life. We just stand on the breach for them today. As family and friends are already doing, we stand here for them today. And we pray that, Father, your convicting power will continue to move on their life until they surrender their hearts to you. We pray that every Sunday, Father, in every service, that people that you love that are far from you would be drawn to you and would come to Christ. Now, Lord, in Jesus' name, as we sing this next song, we just pray you'd prepare our hearts to recognize who you are in our lives. And that, Father, in Jesus' name, as we receive communion together today, that you would birth in the hearts of believers this desire, Father, a burning passion and love for our country, for our state, For our neighbors and co-workers and relatives. That Lord, we would step up and stand in the gap. We would step into the breach. That we would begin to pray for them and ask you to move in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship the Lord for a moment today. God bless you. Have a great week. Grace and peace.